You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. And we're back to an all-new episode of Ira in Amsterdam. Oh, an international caper. You know, I thought it was time we took the podcast overseas. With, uh, maybe Kenneth Branagh can direct this. I I see Gal Gadot in your future. (laughs) Death on the Canal. Ooh, fun. Death on the Amstel. Yes. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Yes, I am in the midst of my... LA Exodus, which I've been talking about forever, and it finally happened. Well, half the people I know have moved to New York in recent months, so in a way, you're just a follower. By the way, I'm Louis Fertel. Do I say my name anymore? Anyway, I'm Louis. <laughs> um, and Aida is, of course, um, shooting a film. I mean, maybe she's in the Batman, too. <laughs> I, I, the way you phrased that, I thought you were about to say, and Aida is shooting a person. That's You can't explain <laughs> who, but... Grand Theft Aida. Yeah, uh, I've heard stranger <laughs> ideas. Um, by the way, speaking of, you come from the theater, right? You're a fan of theater. I come from the theater. Yes, right. No, Stanislavski himself is who I'm talking to, right? Okay, great. Absolutely. I saw an immersive <laughs> theater artist over the weekend that you maybe have heard of. She was born with the name Katie Hudson, but she goes by the name Katie Perry to everybody else. <laughs> Girlfriend, I saw her Vegas show. Lori Anderson, stand down. This shit was explosive. And you know what? Among the best concerts I have ever seen. And also, I think the best exhibition of a celebrity's brand I have ever seen, with the possible exception of Disneyland. Jesus Christ. I thought she put it down so fucking hard. It was... I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of the show. I actually avoided a lot of the like spoilers of it because it was all over Twitter. It's a really splashy visual show. But my God, it was giving gay, demented Kids' Choice Awards. It was giving... <laughs> Isn't that just the Kids' Choice Awards? Correct. Yes. It was giving <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Fed Them Molly. Oh, my God. I just... It, it was so... She's so high-octane kitsch. And that's exactly what you got. It was completely unpretentious. Sometimes it was it got into a little bit of a bathroom humor place, if you're familiar with some of the major spoilers that were on Twitter. And I was happy that was spoiled for me because that might have unsettled me had I not known about them ahead of time. But I really, really, really recommend it. And I thought her pattern with the audience was fucking amazing. She was hilarious, which I don't know that I've ever said that about Katy Perry before. I think she's funny. I think, I mean, first of all... Um... I think you remember when we saw her at Madonna. Remember oh, yes. Ma- Ma- the, the one time Madonna talked to the audience uh, and it was, Katy Perry was like in the audience and they did this banter about asking if she could drink some of Katy Perry's beer. And it was surprisingly funny. I don't think we even knew it was Katy Perry at first. 
you know, she would talk to people in the audience and you couldn't hear or them. Like the acoustics were bad in that room anyway. So you had no idea who she was talking to sometimes. Um, this is also going to be a Madonna centric episode. So should we, we should get off this topic now. But Katy Perry, sufficiently disgusting and fun in this show. And I also want to say banger after banger, as of course you're, you're all aware, but Bon Appetit, that's got to be in the top tier now. That's risen. Uh, you know, like the song have, Rise I by Katy Perry? Now bon it's Appetit. the top tier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have always been here for Bon Appetit because, you know, I am a fan of the Migos. Uh, oh, I didn't know that really. Huh? Well, you know, it's like, it's, 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 it's appropriate music if you're a Drake fan. So, you know, mm, that's I true. saw that's the true. Drake and Migos tour once and that was pretty fantastic. Um, they're sort of like... Um, like the three caballeros of mm. hip hop, you know. That makes sense. You're not, you're not salty. Still? <laughs> I couldn't think of another trio. <laughs> <laughs> Snap, crackle, and pop. I don't know. Um, Alvin Simon and Theodore of rap. No, wait. Migos was what was missing from the performance of Swiss Wish on SNL. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So we're a little yeah, salty with it, them. It, I mean, it was the whole drama with you know the like maybe they were like homophobic against drag queens, and mm. I mean. I mean, RuPaul is homophobic against drag queens. So, <laughs> by the way, I also saw the Ru RuPaul Vegas show where like uh, several queens from past seasons do like a little bit of a cabaret. And I am sorry to say, I, I thought it was largely grim. There was way too much video footage of the show. People I usually like, I thought Cameron Michaels was going to throw it down. I, I, I was left wanting. Uh, like video footage of the actual RuPaul's Drag Race. Show. Correct. They interspersed like the live segment with like footage from the show. I guess to maybe explain to people in the audience like what certain things meant if they weren't like fans of the show. And it just, man, it did not hit. It did not. I know Katy Perry has paid a million dollars to have brilliant banter with the audience, but we did not get brilliant banter with the audience this time. <laughs> I mean, I think at what point does the RuPaul universe collapse in on itself? I mean, we could have the whole other episode about that, but I think it's like it's gotten to the point now where each episode of the show, the challenges are referencing in jokes from previous episodes and seasons of the show and not creating anything new. Or the yeah, reflecting outside culture. I mean, the um, I always get like, I, I get a little tick that comes over my body when somebody in Snatch Game plays a former contestant on RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm like, no, 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 no. This isn't what this is. We can't be this self-referential. But every single challenge on the show is self-referential now. Yeah, right. It's a little unfortunate. No, we, I still need challenges regarding like kitsch 60s, kitsch 70s. Well, time and RuPaul's Drag Race is a closed loop. <laughs> <laughs> so you've mentioned before uh this is a madonna centric episode but it is also a batman centric episode oh yes we're going to talk about the batman we are going to talk about madonna's grueling boot camp that she has every young blonde actress in hollywood um competing in to play madonna in the biopic that she is co-writing and directing if you have not read this Hollywood Reporter article detailing the the grueling nature of these auditions, it is a hard LOL from start to finish. I'm like, like me, me cackling and be like, Madonna's so mean and looking at the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we have the fantastic Kristen Chenoweth joining us today. And she is a delight to no one's surprise. 
I mean, like, I, we should have guessed, like, she, she has that Kelly Ripa quality of, like, like ready to get into a gregarious, dishy conversation at a moment's notice thing. And she does not disappoint. We had a blast. It was one of the, our favorite interviews this year. Yeah. So we will be right back with more Keep It. Over the weekend, Matt Reeves' The Batman made over $130 million. None of those dollars were mine because I saw it today. Mm. Because, you know, I got to see it this afternoon. Because if you haven't heard already, I'm in Amsterdam. And it's evening here. I actually support you recording in the evening for this reason. That way, the pop culture is very fresh on your mind. I'm coming off sleep. And let me tell you something. I don't have much of a brain for the world of Batman. So you'll have to tell me what I saw. <laughs> well, okay. First of all, I'm excited that I've managed um, two weeks in a row to get you to watch a Batman film. No, I, I lose. Can you believe this has happened to me? I don't know myself anymore. Watch me uh, watching the gonna... Adam West show next week or something. <laughs> Woof. Um, now, What did you think? Okay, here I go. Well, let's start with the runtime, which I didn't realize walking in was 178 minutes. And I checked who directed it, and it wasn't David Lean. So that is unacceptable. <laughs> I don't know. I was in for a passage to Batman. Dr. Je Batman. Uh, that said, for a three-hour movie that really does not have much in the way of, shall we say, sparkling personality, it is super watchable. I didn't find much of it boring. That said... I also don't know why it's three hours long and don't remember what took so long. That's fair. I would say that, you know, just to get the critiques about the runtime out of the way, it is this year's The Irishman, you know, where there's always a new fucking film where it's like, why is this three hours long? Right. Um, but I would say that I wasn't bored. And even when it is slow, it didn't feel like nothing was happening. You know, there was always something happening. And I appreciate actually that, you know, like the action sequences and the sort of twist that leads you to, you know, set pieces where you always know like people are going to be in danger. And then, you know, like Batman's in danger and like there's um, the Car villains going to do Car something scene. else. Mm -hmm. people. Yes. I felt like they were all surprisingly like unexpected. I did not see the final sequence happening the way it happened. I will say as the movie started. So we got Robert Pattinson as Batman. And he's giving specifically grunge Batman, as in... He's giving Jawline, yeah, first oh, of all. No, He uh, is giving Batman the animated series Jawline. I, I, Ira, I was going to say the exact same thing. If <laughs> He is definitely A1 of Batman Jawlines. When he puts that mask on, it's like it was built for his face. I No shade to, of course, Michael Keaton and all the others, but it was built for this face. But they play... Uh, the Nirvana song "Something in the Way" a couple of times here to really lay to on to let you know it's that a brooding Batman. Yes, <laughs> I found that a bit on the nose, but and also his bangs are just that particular like Final Fantasy VII, Natalie Imbruglia, you know, uh, 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 very much the crow. Thing. Yeah, the, the yes, exactly thing. Especially Which, with the paint that he does on his eyes. Um, before he even puts on the Batman mask. Right. I liked the overall aesthetic of it. Yes, that said, I do feel that the aesthetic is repetitive. Like, we do, ha we have had Blade Runner-esque Batman before, and it feels mm -hmm. like it's trying to throw this world view at you of, like, 
hardened cynicism looms. And I don't know. It's like it's like this, even though it obviously looks incredibly expensive and there's a lot to look at, it still feels like they're conferring depth onto moodiness, which is by this point super old. And I want to say, I'm glad I watched The Dark Knight Rises last week because, by the way, that is not that downcast a movie, actually. Like the Christopher it's Nolan movies not. are like a little overhyped in terms of how brooding they allegedly are. Mm. No, I mean, I would say that like Zack Snyder's films are even more yeah. darker and like more like uh, just sort of like sluggish than a Christopher Nolan film is. His are sort of like, his still have sort of, Christopher Nolan still makes blockbusters. They're sort of poppy and they're yeah. like overblown, you know, like Inception and shit like that. Like he comes from sort of that classic caper. Yeah, no right, one's, right. No one's films are very caper. And this was definitely more so than grunge. It's giving seven, you know, this mm. is giving like um, Zodiac. 70 Zodiac, 70s paranoid thriller. This was really sort of just like a serial killer movie, to be honest. Yeah. It wasn't really a Batman film as the ones that we've been used to in recent history. But I would say it felt like distinctly Batman. And honestly, I like the fact that it's weird i mean getting even to robert pattinson right one thing i've loved about him is his um batman press tour it's almost been lady gaga-esque in like him talking about every insane thing that he's done but it's there's also the underlying um fact that like he has fully confessed to making up shit in interviews before Right. Like, I like mean, Gaga wants you to believe that she actually was being haunted by flies in Rome because Patrizia sent them after her. Robert Pattinson would tell you that and it'd be like, I wonder if this reporter is going to believe me and make it a headline. Right. And I just want to say I empathize or pardon me, I guess I sympathize with that decision to lie to press because I think people still underestimate how many interviews these people do. Like, after a while, you need to be generating more than the four actual stories that happen. I'm not saying go out there and lie about everything you've ever done, but I can sort of see bending the truth and believing the lie and then just having fun after a while. My, like, my God, Kristen Stewart is still talking about Spencer. I mean, I'm sorry, the movie did not take <laughs> three years to film. There are, there are a finite amount of stories that could have possibly happened and a finite amount of feelings you can possibly have about Princess Diana. So, I mean, and even bringing up Kristen Stewart, like, like, obviously, you know, the Twilight connection between the both of them. And it's just imagine how fucking sick of press junkets and even the, like, Sturman Drang of being a actor, you know, in the public. I, Robert Pattinson, is just, like, sick of. Right. Well, and also, the, the perception of the two of them is similar, where it's like... You know, there's a why don't they smile more kind of thing about these two people. So I'm sure they're dealing with a lot of annoying questions also. So kudos to them for being seemingly very lighthearted about all of this. Not that mm -hmm. they're movie stars. I'm not saying it's the hardest task in the world, but yeah. um, I, I do appreciate that. What I will say about this Batman movie is in the first hour, I, I would say this movie could have been called Detective Batman, which, by the way, is great. That, like, gives this yeah. movie a reason to be. I mean, for those of you who don't know, Batman debuted in Detective Comics. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's harkening it back to the fact that, like, Batman's supposed to be a detective. And I feel like it gets away from that eventually, which and, and I'm not saying it turns into a conventional Batman movie, but it turned again, again, the mood becomes very familiar to me. The romance between him and Zoe Kravitz, that was kind of interesting. Her performance, her emotiveness, 
I would rate at about a Dua Lipa. Uh, <laughs> which, Here's again, is thing. what the a movie is people... going for. It's not bad or anything. <laughs> but it's like, it's this movie is really lacking one person who pops off the screen in terms of charisma, really, I think. Like every, everyone's performance is muted, but not bad. Mm, I would argue that like the charisma of the film was the visuals. Yeah. And it was honestly Michael Giacchino. The score, mm. I, I already I think I already put this on social media. It was like he put his whole Maya Giacusi <laughs> into this film. Okay. 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 I yeah. have loved Michael Giacchino since the alias score. Mm. Uh and like I, I still listen to like the fucking track Red Hair is Better all the time when I'm like stomping around New York City trying to feel like I'm Sydney Bristow. Also, red hair is, but no, see, that's sometimes in my head still, and I know this is bad. I get alias confused with Dark Angel, and I think she, I thought <laughs> she had red hair, so that makes it confusing for me. No, she was just um, being terrorized by James Cameron. Oh, <laughs> got it, got yeah. it. Uh, no, but it's like I Michael Giacchino's score is like really actually like the star of this film for me. Mm-hmm. It, it's just a beautiful fucking like score that just like it stuck with me and it uses like the um i think it like uses sort of like chopin's like um piano sonata too because it Mm -hmm. sounds a bit like you know like that funeral march that he did which is also used in um the darth vader's theme in in star wars and like the imperial march so it like it sounded familiar but it also sounded brand new and it was i don't know like i kept listening to the score went on my way back from seeing the movie on the way to record this. Well, you've now brought up Chopin, and I now have to recommend again Hugh Grant as Chopin in Impromptu with Judy Davis as uh, uh, George Sand. That movie fucking hits. Anyway. Have you um, recommended this before? I don't know. It's it, it's it's a very underrated movie, and it's the rare movie where Emma Thompson has a supporting role, and she plays a daffy kind of comic character. You've got to see this. It's so good. Anyway. Okay, well, you know how I feel about movies with pianos, but right. I, will, um, but, I, will, I, will, I, will, I will break that fatwa to watch this film, because I do I will, like Amadou. And uh, Judy Davis hides under a piano in this one, too. So get ready. Uh, Well, piano lessons can be murder. Oh, back to goosebumps. All right. I caught that (laughs) reference right away. Okay, let's get into the villains in this movie, because there are villains. Um, The person who plays the Riddler, is this a spoiler? Can I bring this up? No, I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler. I think people know that Paul Dano plays. Okay, who played? Okay, who spent? I did not recognize Paul Dano, by the way. Yeah, no, no, me neither. Oh, and I definitely didn't recognize Colin Farrell, who plays a villain role too. That's the weird case of they gave, they totally transformed Colin Farrell. And to what end? He didn't really have anything to do in the movie besides a couple of cackling scenes and one driving scene in which he like slams on the wheel a couple times. It also wasn't even like a over-the-top mess of a performance while you're hiding the way that like Jared Leto was in House of Gucci. Right. Or the Suicide Squad, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I mean, maybe that just means that Colin Farrell is actually a good actor. I mean, I fucking love Colin and Farrell. Jared Leto is not. Do you know what Colin Farrell was so good in? Speaking of grim-looking movies, and this is not a good movie, The Blade Runner. Oh No, sorry. No, oh, we can talk about this next tape. We can <laughs> devote an entire episode. Go to our Patreon to see the whole episode about that sex tape. Um, um, no, in the Total Recall reboot. Uh, mm. which was one of the last times we really celebrated uh, Kate Beckinsale also. 
Um, you know what fucking Colin Farrell movie I love? Mm. Phone booth. I mean, he was great in it, and his acting partner was a phone booth. So there might be some talent there. Um, uh, so, but anyway, Paul Dano in this movie. First of all, who spent one millisecond casting that? They're like, Jesus, a creep who can wear glasses and cackle at shit. Wonder if Paul Dano is available. It was giving the there mm-hmm. will be blood world of uh, uh, paranoia and horror and terror, whatever. Even though I love him, I mm. do love Paul Dano. Though, of course, there's going to be a Colin Farrell TV show with this character in it. Woof. Enjoy that Rick Baker makeup job every day, boy. I hope it was worth it. Um, <laughs> but something I took away from this movie, the Riddler is basically a less interesting version of Ghostface. Okay, I I was either I was either going to come in here saying that the Riddler was Gossip Girl, yeah, because he was all up in everyone's business, yeah, not just in everyone's business, like sending sending out social media alerts, yeah, right, wow, uh, typing in forums, like literally knows everybody's tea in this series. It was like, baby, once we find out that he's just like this like nerdy orphan, I was like, how did you ask know all this shit about people? Right. By the way, it would be pretty fucking sweet if Kristen Bell played the Riddler sometime. I need her. <laughs> I need her dark as hell. Uh, but since it was a serial killer movie, no, I kept thinking about Scream, and the reason I kept thinking about Scream was because both films are sort of um, taking us to a new era of thriller, where um, the main villain, like thrillers are always about like, you know, what people are afraid of um, at the time that they're made, you know, like the 70s paranoid thrillers that we talked about like a few weeks ago, you know, it's like it's afraid that like the government is tracking you and um, nothing that you do is private anymore. And now that we know that shit is real, um, <laughs> we've moved on. Yeah. The thing that people are afraid of now is really like each other and like radicalization. And I would argue that like, the way that scream like the killers are people who are like radicalized not by the movies but by forums and they have opinions about how the movie should go and that's why they decided to make their own movie the third act of this film sort of reveals that like you know people who also feel that um gotham city they've been let down by gotham mm-hmm. they decide to take matters into their own hands and i think right. that that is sort of what people are afraid of now it's interesting it makes it seem like a modern reboot of the x-files would have like Mulder be the villain uh, that does seem trenchant actually yes i mean it's the- conspiracy theories i would be like baby get away from me now i just want to say by the way though that that aspect of this batman movie i did find a little annoying in the way that i found what joker was quote-unquote about annoying it was all caps we live in a society you know (laughs) the mayor talking to you and being like we need to have faith in our leaders again it's like oh please god do do not do not msnbc at me right now or do not fox news at me right now but i don't know that i'm begging for a movie like this to be politically relevant and also are the fans really i mean i guess again batman is still looking for a reason to be most of this movie to me feels like things we have covered before in various installments of any superhero movie so Mm -hmm. i still feel like they're trying to get a foothold in why we're doing this again but i don't know maybe some people would argue they found it i would compare it to the Batman is a better movie than this. I would compare it to the movie Solo with Alden Ehrenreich, where it mm. was it was finding like a sedately serious version of a famous franchise. Mm. What, which which I weirdly liked. 
I, I know I remember that. Remember, like, I think when we even talked about that film on this podcast, I had to see it the night before. And I, the only screening was like a fucking midnight showing at mm-hmm. the Arclight um, pre pandemic days. Right. Uh, and I managed to not fall asleep during that damn movie by seeing it at midnight. Um, but I also haven't thought about that movie since. No. Um, but by the way, that movie remains people's introduction to Phoebe Waller Bridge. <laughs> a weirdo oh. choice. Uh, but just speaking of weirdo choices, I would say that, like, lastly, what I just really loved about this movie is how weird it is. And I want that's sort of what I want from the Batman mythos. And if Matt Reeves did anything, it's just sort of like taking maybe the franchise in a new direction. And I mean, he did that famously with Planet of the Apes, right? You know, where, where he gave it sort of like a new life and. I just I just want the weird shit. You know, like as a comic book fan, I feel like I've long said that like when I watch like the X-Men films, right? Like you continue to get like Professor X versus Magneto. We've seen the Dark Phoenix saga so many fucking times, but I'm like, you know, like I want the Morlocks like in the fucking sewers. I want like the brood like like aliens in fucking space. And, like there's so much weird shit that's in comic books that keeps being held at sort of like an arm's length and the Batman has so much fucking weird shit. Clayface, Poison Ivy, like mm-hmm. Mr. Freeze done in like a non-campy um Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of way. There's just so many weird um villains in this and i also just sort of really liked how they dealt with sort of mental illness in this film too you know because when they talked about um martha wayne um and being in and out of asylums obviously like obviously that meant that bruce wayne had inherited a lot of that and it's like i what i loved about this film ultimately is it finally got to that place where it was like yeah, a person who dresses up as Batman isn't sort of like it doesn't save him the way that like being Spider-Man saves Peter Parker or something, right? Yeah, like, right. He's he's fucked up. And I like how the Riddler was like confused the Batman for being like, "Oh, you're on my side." And Batman's like, "No, wait, I'm not." Or am I? Like he's fucked up in the head, and that's what I like about that's what I've always liked about Batman comics. Yeah. I think Robert Pattinson's performance, ultimately, I would give it a B and say his energy was quietly capable IT guy. As in, oh, your, com- <laughs> your, your computer's on the fritz? He comes upstairs, has no expression on his face, fixes it, and then he's gone before you know it. Okay. Yeah. I still love Michael Keaton the most. Uh, and then I would say Christian Bale's right about there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, don't discount George Clooney. Oh yeah, and then of course he's just know, having a good ass time. Uh, and then and then who's below that? Uh, Val Kilmer, and then George Lazenby, uh, Vanessa, <laughs> Vanessa Redgrave, and then uh, Ben Affleck is not a part of the conversation. Oh, that's true. Which is hard. Which is which is hard for me because you know I love Ben Affleck. Right, right, right. They're there, just not as Batman. Anyway. Lastly, I'll just say that, like, if you've seen this movie and you were on the fence, just sort of about like Zoe Kravitz, it's like acting capabilities. I watched all of High Fidelity this weekend, um, which I had somehow missed, and maybe it's my fault it got canceled by Hulu. Um, but she's so fucking good in that. I've heard she is. Yeah. Also, I think she's great. She's good in she's good in Big Little Lies. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, the movie was really about their chemistry together more than it was about any individual charisma either of them had um which actually makes me sort of disappointed that we didn't see more 
Batman and Catwoman scenes. She sort of drops out for the last hour of the film. Totally, totally. Uh, yeah. But she looks smashing, my God. She looks so fucking hot. Jesus Christ. <sighs> All right, when we're back, Kristen Chenoweth joins us. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Our guest today is a Tony and Emmy Award winner, aside from being an icon, uh, who was not satisfied with half an EGOT. So she wrote a picture book called What Will I Do With My Love Today? (laughs) And between her award-winning and book publication comes a second book, My Moment, 106 Women on Fighting for Themselves, coming out in May. Please welcome Kristen Chenoweth, who is doing far too much. Need a rest. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> uh, it's so exciting to have you here. Um, mostly because I feel like um, you have been the soundtrack to some of my greatest um, triumphs. When I go through like a when I go through either a um, like a heartbreak or a triumph, I listen to you singing "Thank Goodness" from Wicked. That song works for both moments, and I truly will like put it on repeat and let my emotions take me somewhere else. <laughs> um, thank you because that's my that is the song for me too, and it kind of I don't know not get skipped over, but I I can't believe you just said that. That's my one of my uh-huh. favorites. Show. Thank you for saying that. It's, well, thank you for singing it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like it takes a lot of work to open the second act of a musical, you know, and I think it truly does it beautifully. Oh man, Stephen Schwartz really knows what he's doing. 
Thank you. Uh, Kristen, but, but I think you have this Barbara Streisand problem when I'm talking about you with other gay men or just people. I, I guess people besides gay men are fans, too. I've not met them. But anyway, where like not so much. I'm right. right. <laughs> where you necessarily have to discuss your amazing vocals first and then secondarily almost what gets forgotten is just how fucking funny you are, period. And I'm wondering, were you always funny? Or did that, was that like a talent you developed in concert with your vocal skills? You know, I think this is my opinion. I think people either are born with a funny bone or they're not. Now, people can be trained to be kind of funny, to be funny. And then there's people who are just innately funny. And my parents, um, I was adopted and, and my father's an engineer, my brother's an engineer, so you can imagine, like, they shouldn't ever sing and I don't do math, but <laughs> they, they said that I was always just like that funny, like not weird, but kind of quirky, weird, funny kid. And I had no edit. And I think that's one thing about kids that I love so much that they have no edit. They just say like, did you know you have a mole here? You know, they just, they don't, they don't have an edit. And um, I'm, I think I'm still a kid at heart. And I just find, I am so, I find really kind of weird things funny. Like the other day I was, <laughs> I was in another state singing a concert and i don't know why and, and i'm not the only one that has this thing but a guy tripped over a cord that works backstage like his actual job is to you know not trip and not fall <laughs> and he did and i and he tried to act like i like because he's like christian channel saw that and i go christian channel saw that <laughs> and he just was like i go i'm kidding it's funny if you can't laugh at yourself are you first of all are you hurt Secondly, okay. <laughs> I just love, I, I mean, laughter is the best medicine, and I, I laugh all the time. Mm. You've done so many iconic roles, but I feel like the one that sticks for me the most is Pushing Daisies. Oh, I'm, oh, um, yes. I'm friends with Brian Fuller, and so, you know, I have, I've had the pleasure of talking his ear off a lot of times about how much I loved that show so much. Um, actually, when he came on to keep it, like, years ago, uh, I actually admitted to him, I still haven't watched the last two episodes of that show because I don't want to know that it ended. I know. <laughs> I know. I get it. I got what we call the slow no. Mm. <laughs> we, had, um, we had a writer strike. And, you know, remember that all of us didn't get our finish. We didn't get the resolve. So, um, and there's talk about bringing it back, and I hope they do. Um, and Brian's talked to me about what Olive might be doing, which is mm -hmm. not at all what I thought, because his brain is, his brain must hurt, because he's got a lot of brains in there. <laughs> I adore him. He is so smart. This is the guy that wrote Dead Like Me, Hannibal, Pushing Daisies, and American Gods. I mean, mm -hmm. Neil Gaiman wrote American Guys, but he adapted it. And it's just, I can't believe him. I just can't believe him. <laughs> so thank you for bringing, that's one of my favorite roles I've ever played. I mean, Olive was ahead of the curve by being, uh, her character being obsessed with Lee Pace. Uh, and now I feel like the Who rest of it? America is. <laughs> you, were you were first. You were first. 
That, that was the right answer. A. <laughs> B. Have you seen his abs lately? Oh, uh, gosh. I mean, the I'm only person being. you need to follow on Instagram. So yeah. <laughs> he needs to post more app photos. Um, can you please send him a message and say, please, yeah. Lee, post more app photos? <laughs> I already have. I already have. It. You know, I'm an actor and I'm just out here doing my thing. And I'm. he likes to be out in nature and I'm a Four Seasons kind of girl. And. Uh, <laughs> And he just, like, I swear the guy, you know, Cast Away, that movie? Mm-hmm. He, he could actually live that way. <laughs> like, expire! I don't even know. I don't even know. And he's 6'10", or something. So we just, we loved each other. Shy, Mc, Shy McGride and I loved each other. Anna, Swoozy, Ellen, we were just such a family. Mm-hmm. Um, something else I remember about that era, it just popped in my head now, is when you won the Emmy for that, you were part of this bit that the yeah. actresses were doing. Oh, yes, I remembered for you that you won an Emmy for that, yes. Um, Thank you. But if I'm not mistaken, was it you and like Amy Poehler and Vanessa Williams and maybe Elizabeth Perkins who all wore silly glasses and then and somebody Chris- was... And Kristen Wiig, yeah. And yeah, that's right. I can't believe you remember that. And I've got to give credit where credit due the night before a party amy goes we're the comedians so wouldn't shouldn't we be doing something weird and funny and i'm like uh yes and she goes what if we all wore different glasses who has like and i was like i have 2000 whatever year it was nine glasses and then um i can't remember oh Jane had like the opera glasses. Yeah. It was just so fun. And then Vanessa, we get to because Vanessa goes, What if I'm last? Because her Williams, she says, What if I just go, Oh no. And we <laughs> thought it was so funny. <laughs> okay, you just confirmed what I thought was it sounded to me like the nominees got together and were like, What if actually we're hilarious people? What if we did something with this moment? Which like people never decide to do. Like I've never seen like nominees like get together and do a bit before. So you that's another legendary moment for me. I'm happy I'm happy it came together just as you described. Thank you. It did, and it was Amy's idea. Mm. Um I feel like that also has to just like add a bit to the sort of like camaraderie that comes to like being nominated in an award with um, other people, you know, like it takes away some of the like competition of it. If you're just like joking and having a great time with one another. You have to do it because honestly, this business is so self, self, self that, I mean, don't get me wrong. I hate to lose. But really and truly, if we we don't enjoy the journey, then why? Mm -hmm. And plus, I didn't even think, like, I thought Kristen Wiig was going to win, if I'm being completely honest. Mm -hmm. Because they Mm -hmm. had just started the SNL, um, and she was so funny. that I mean, everybody was funny. I mean, Elizabeth Perkins on Mm -hmm. Weeds. Can we talk about that performance? But everybody was funny. And I just, I thought, eh, I'm just going to wear a short dress. I'll bring my best girlfriend to the thing. And I win. <laughs> I win. I was like, are my parents watching? Like, I, 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 I still cannot believe. I'm so, so happy that I won because I didn't have a job anymore. Pushing Daisies was off the show. And I remember, I remember thinking in my speech, tell them what shows you want to be on. I wanted to be on um, Mad Men, um, 
what was that Fox, that 24 show? Mm. I won't be on. Um, <laughs> and I just thought, now's your time. Tell them what you want to be on. Well, now I'm thinking of you torturing Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, as a terrorist. That would have been fun. <laughs> and do you know that nobody, none, none of the shows, oh, none of them called and asked me to be on them. Oh, not Mad Men couldn't find like a role for you as like, you know, a, a up to no good secretary or something. I'm like, am I here? Did I, <laughs> did I went, did I, I'm, I was confused. Right. But, you know, that's when you just go, I'm a, person of faith so i just go god has other plans don't worry about it i mean i was kind of kidding not really but um... <laughs> matthew whiter's on my list now by the way i, I will never forgive him yeah you know. put, put, put him on your list put him on your list yeah. <laughs> um, oh i wanted to be on the office too Oh, well, now the entire cast of The Office is on our list. So, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, Steve Carell. What do I got to do? Steve, Steve, Steve Carell, we're coming for you. <laughs> I'm uh, coming for him in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> is that so? Darling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, you know, one of your, actually, your first film role um, was in the movie Bewitched. Uh, and you had the pleasure of being, I hope pleasure, of being directed by Nora Ephron uh, in one of her last films. Uh, what was it like working with um, her? First of all, I miss her every day. Um, she came to see Wicked and she goes, so you're going to be Nicole Kidman's best friend. I've already decided. And I'm like, okay. Like, <laughs> yes. Um, I also did a play for her, Love, Loss, and What I Wore. Mm. But mm. What I miss the most about her, if I may, I miss her advice. For example, Nora, one time there was a picture of me in the New York Times and it wasn't flattering. It just, they happened to catch me in a bad, she called the, me and she said, have you seen the Times? I said, no. And she goes, don't. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus. I miss Nora because she was a truth talker and I know that she loved me. Um, no matter what, I, I remember one time she said, why do you want to be in movies when you can do what you do? Like, you know, Broadway and opera and stuff. I said, why do you want to write books? And like, why do you want to do movies if you can do what you do, Nora? It's the same thing, but we learn from each other. Um, I miss her. She's not, she's still in my phone. Oh. I know one thing that Nora Ephron was also famous for was like her dinner parties. Um, like, were you ever? At, I assume you had to be at one of them, many of them. Uh, I, I think constantly about the fact that she has this lost cookbook on like how to throw dinner parties. Okay, I'm going to give you guys. I'm going to give you guys a scoop. I've been to many of Nora's parties. First of all, she makes me sit down and play the piano and sing with every sing, and I'm like. Please, Nora, please. That's a thousand. <laughs> but the second party we were doing Bewitched and Nick Nick was there and everybody was there. And, and, and I am, I don't judge people for what they want to do. I have to work a lot. So I don't, and I take care of my instrument. So, you know, I don't, I don't smoke. I don't, you know, drink a lot. I, I just take, I have to, I don't have a choice. But. Nora just thought it would be, just think it's so funny that I'd never tried marijuana. <laughs> and she think it's so funny. 
And she knows I love chocolate brownies. So she made chocolate brownies. She's like, look, Kristen, I made chocolate brownies. I was like, thank you. (laughs) So I had a chocolate brownie and it, I had like half of it. I was like, it didn't taste right. Next thing I know, I'm under the table. (laughs) (laughs) Nicole Kidman is like, do you want me to take you home? I'm like, who are you? Do you like me? Do you like me? Um, anyway, her dialect coach got me home, but that happened and I will never do that again. And I, Nora, the next day, I had my dog Madeline Conchana with on set. She always held her. She was a little mall piece. And I said, Nora, she goes, are you mad at me? Are you mad at me? I was like, you wrote Harry Met Sally. I'm not mad at you, but never do that to me again, please. <laughs> I never do that again. I love her. I miss her. I miss her so much. Also, I did not know you had a dog named after Madeline Cott. I mean, you obviously took over her role in on the 20th century, but I just want you to know that alone could put a tear in my eye. I, I'm glad to hear that. My favorite. The, I mean, my my. It's Madeline Cott. It's Dolly Parton. It's Judy Garland. It's Sandy Patty, the Christian singer, and you know, Ava Cassidy. Those are mine. That's exactly right. All of those things put together are sort of the China with brand. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. You have a your dog, um, Madeline Con Chenoweth. Um, you uh, must love you you must love dogs a quite a bit. I mean your book, your picture book is about a dog. Now Madeline's in heaven and now I have Thunder Pup named after the in the NBA. Um, I'm a Thunder Girl, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And I was adopted and I adopted her and it's, I'm very proud of it. That's what I did in um, in the beginning of COVID. I was like, what will I do with myself? I do do a lot of things that make me happy. So the title, what will I do with my love today? Really, I thought was going to be a song, but it was, it's about me and Thunder. And I'm really, really excited about, she's laying here like, like she's never been fed. Um, she's she's my constant companion, and she has given me so much joy. And it's it's me, young, and we're in New York, and there's thunder, and the undertone is adoption, and uh, no, the undertone is rescue, because I was rescued by my parents, and I rescued her. So I'm really proud of it. Something, uh, a way you are constantly in my ear is I listen to your, it's from your first solo album, your version of My Funny Valentine. And I feel like when pe- people like you cover Iconic standards. Song. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, just uh, also, by you. I about My the Funny Valentine. Oh, yes. I mean, and the lyrics, by the way, to me still are hilarious. It's a, it's a song about someone reading somebody else, being like, oh, oh, yeah. but, you know, it's like the, yeah. um, the shadiest of song standards. And, uh, I was wondering, like, do you take particular pleasure still in singing these, like, gigantic and very old songs? Because I feel like nowadays you're really associated with a new kind of quirkier musical theater style. Do you like returning to those old standards? Oh, yeah. Um, in my concerts, it's largely American song. But, yeah. Um, especially ones that, you know, there's a Hoagie Carmichael piece I do. I get along without you very well that nobody does. And I, my kids that come to the shows, some of them, you know, I have, I have, I have old people, I have people in drag. I have, 
gays, I have straights, I have little girls. And they'll go, did they write that song for you? Mm. And I'm like, this is why I want to do it, because I want them to know. When I was on Glee and I sang maybe this time, you know, maybe this time, I got with I got letters that was like, they wrote that amazing song for you. And I'm like, kids just don't know. A lot of kids just don't know. And so it's important for me to keep continue passing along and also, you know, moving, moving forward in, in, um, in country and pop and things like that. And, and, and I still do opera. And, um, I, I think that's the ch most challenging part about my shows is that I don't just do one style. So I'm really quiet a lot during the day so that I can do all the things I want to do. Mm. I mean, you're maybe this time, by the way, um, from Glee has probably been at a heavy rotation at parties Lewis and I have been at. Oh, where God. We just put on theater clips and musical clips and rewatch them. Thank you. You guys are making <laughs> me feel so good. Also, I, I want to add to that also that not only are you somebody who's in heavy rotation on YouTube, but when you look up the name Kristen Chenoweth on YouTube, and I assume this is the case for most Broadway legends, half of the hits now are vocal coaches from wherever sitting and talking about, like explaining you to the, to the listener. Like there's probably something we're all missing. And these like trained people are then really? interpret you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, and I was wondering, do you ever sit back and just like search your name on YouTube? You're like, let's listen to some guy from San Antonio explain why I'm fucking rad. I, I've, I, I, definitely watch myself on youtube of course. <laughs> i've never seen anybody like uh talk about it and i would love to hear because you see i'm still learning um the voice uh, coloratures soprano you know when i was doing things like candide and queen of the night what they don't tell you is that as you age as for a soprano your voice deepens and not that you lose the notes, but your voice gets deeper. So I'm I'm singing some things that are much lower now that I never had, which is a gift because you you just continue to still learn. But it's the little soprano secret that nobody tells you. So to hear somebody that somebody would talk about my technique, um, I love that. I love that. Now, now I'll be going down a rabbit hole tonight. Yeah, you think it's just like <laughs> Seth Rudetsky, but now it's half of YouTube. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm so doing that as soon as I take my Ambien tonight. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, even speaking of you being a soprano, I mean, I know we all know you from um, your work with like Stephen Schwartz, you know. But when you sang at um, Sondheim's um, 90th uh, birthday celebration, the virtual one, I was thinking like. I can't even really recall you doing a um, Sondheim show. Is that something that like is is that something that like you've you've you have you like always wanted to do like? Are you in my brain? Oh, I like have you always wanted to do that because I mean speaking as a soprano, like I'm like where's Kristen's version of Greenfinch and Linnet Bird? Right. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> so at the Met, I do a mashup of. Willie Nelson is Stephen Sondheim. Don't ask. It's um, always losing my mind. Um, and mm. also... Um, always on my mind. Always on my mind. And the director said to me, you've got to start, because he had just passed, you've got to start singing Greenfinch again. I said, no, 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 I can't. I'm, I'm not 19-year-old Joanna Virgin. I can't do it. <laughs> and then I started looking at the lyrics. 
and it started meaning something different to me. Like, Greenfinch, uh, are, are you singing now just when you're told? Are you singing to be sold? Um, are you singing now? Are you screaming mad? And I'm putting it back in the show. Literally, I did uh, that, that med concert in de December, and it, I did it. And Sondheim for me is, when I was younger, I didn't, I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't, I didn't understand. Now, I'm understanding. And a role that I see in my future is uh, a little night music. Because mm. Sin the Clowns, when you listen to Sin and the Clowns, I mean, when I was little and I heard Neil, her and Neil Diamond do it, I was like, Sin and the Clowns? You know, I was little, I was young. I was like, I don't get it. Clowns <laughs> scare me. But now I know what, now I know losing my timing this late in my career, two people were who were meant to be together, but couldn't be together. I get it. I get it. So Sondheim, I am a little late to the party, but I bow, I bow at him. Now, Sending the Clowns reminds me also of Judy Collins and pop vocalists. Now, you're obviously associated with Broadway and opera and these, like, I'll say loftier versions of singing. But I was so heartened last year when you released that For the Girls album because it was like a toast to all these uh, pop singers. And I'm wondering, who did you grow up listening to in that regard that you really, I don't know, I guess related to, uh, even though you went on this other path towards a different kind of vocal skill? My, my tastes are so varied. Obviously, Dolly, mm. um, Carol King, my mom wore out tapestry, um, Dinah Washington, my grandpa, um, Aretha, um, Leslie Gore. That's why I said, I asked Ariana uh, Grande to sing, uh, You Don't Own Me. I said, I hear you doing, actually, you should play her and win an Oscar. But she's going to play Glenn and win an Oscar anyway. So. <laughs> um, but I, and then with them, because I'm a woman, I'm more of a Brenda Lee. Mm. And then I said, Reba's Reba, and then Jay has Jay had. So let's do it together and do our, and it just, you know, I'm so, and then Dolly heard a version of uh, I Will Always Love You, which is, um, I do pay homage to the singers, but I also find my own. And there was a lick in there and I sent it to her and she goes, I like that lick. Like, I, I want to sing it with you. I was like, huh? So that was a cool moment. And I want my younger fans to know these women. Eva Cassidy. I want them to know. You know, I want them to know, you know, Cole and Natalie Cole. I want them to know who, I want them to know. And so that's, that's why I did that record. Also, I mean, I just want to say about Leslie Gore alone. I mean, it's not like even the First Wives Club is being passed down to every generation nowadays. So you're doing a lot of work that that clip once did. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and with Ariana, who... I was a little nervous. So I was like, oh, 
She's gonna outsing me. <laughs> think about me. I do. I I'm a lyric person, and I also do my version, and I want her to do her version. And it worked. It just worked. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, I wish more people knew that Leslie Gore was um, Quincy Jones's first hit as a producer. Mm. I know people don't yeah. know that. Yeah. When I met Quincy, I was doing um, Moon River. Um, the Mancini family asked me to, mm. they said, we love your version. Would you sing? With He was being honored in, at the Amundsen in L.A. And Jenny Mancini said, would you would you sing and John Williams conduct? I'm like, uh, 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 uh. so fine. Um, <laughs> Quincy Jones is backstage. And I'm like, <laughs> do I be it? Am I, I actually am shy, believe it or not, with people that I really admire, I'm shy. And I finally got the nerve and I went up to him and I said, hi, um, Quincy, I, um, I'm seeing a movie ever tonight. Don't listen to it. Um, <laughs> um, you are, um, a king and I'm not even going to ask you for your picture or anything because I just want to remember have this memory mm -hmm. and he said thank you because so many people want to get selfie and they want to get he goes you want to have the memory and then when I got off stage and saying Moon River he was like you're good I was like <laughs> I know anyway, I you know these are things that happen that I want to talk about that are cool you know mm -hmm. um how many gay men talk to you on the street, not about Wicked um, or anything else you've done, but about your role in the Jennifer Lopez film, The yes. Boy Next Door? I must know. Where you, where you were treated horribly, by the way. Like, they, <laughs> they, they took your character, they put your character through the ringer. <laughs> well, they want to know, first of all, they want to know about J-Lo. And she's my friend, Jen. And I'm, like, not going to tell them. I'm like, but... Just so you know, she really is. This is what gay men want to know. She really is one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. And, you know, like her, you know, she she had the butt before the butt was the butt. And it's perfect. It's not too big. <laughs> It's not too far. So I just asked her one day, I was like, how do I get that butt? Because, you know, I'm white. My my butt's flat. I got drunk in the front. So how do I get your butt? And she's like, I think it's DNA. I think it's DNA. I'm like, okay. And then another thing is I was, I don't want to give too much away, but there was a prosthetic across my neck. And I sped home at three in the morning on the, on the highway. Um, uh, the main highway in LA that's 55 miles an hour and I was going 90. I got pulled over. The 101 probably. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I got pulled over. I started crying because the movie wasn't out yet and that would ruin the... Oh. Mm. Yes. And I have all these Hello Kitty things in the back because I love Hello Kitty and Jennifer got me Hello Kitty um stuff from target and i've got this thing and the cop comes up and he goes are you okay and i forget you know i go yeah yeah i'm good and he goes are you hurt i go no no and he goes you have 
something terrible. What happened? I go, <gasps> I immediately start crying. I go, um, I'm in this movie with J-Lo. And he goes, you're in a movie with J-Lo? I go, yes. I go, and if this gets out, um, because he, he could have taken me in. <laughs> and um, I have a lead foot. And I said, um, please don't, please, please, please. And he goes, are you? And I go, yes, I am. And he goes, my wife loves you. I go, I just said, call her. Call her, please. <laughs> 20 minutes later, he comes back and he gives me, um, he does give me a ticket, but not for the speed. And he does say, I think of me as your dad. Slow down. And, uh, you know, if you could get me a Jennifer Lopez autograph, you know, maybe. <laughs> I am loving that you have a lead foot, by the way. That's like L O L. Oh, I'm Cameron Diaz at my best friend's wedding. <laughs> Oh, what a thrill to have talked to you today. And I just want to make one, of course, a shout out to the song Happiness from Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, that I feel like will forever be underrated. Like, I don't know, like it's everybody loves that song. And yet when it comes up, people are surprised to bring it up in the musical theater canon, I feel I like. Why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> we need happiness. We need happiness. Happiness is having an ice cream, climbing a tree, knowing a secret. Such I a love, pleasurable love, song. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you all both for uh, knowing my work. Not everybody, you know, when you get interviews, sometimes they don't go this way. I appreciate your um, knowledge. Um, I've worked my butt off and uh, I see that you have too. And I thank you for that. Oh, oh that's good so Lord. sweet of you. That's so Incre sweet of you. Thank you for being here. I mean, we we make it a point to truly only interview people who we are either fans of or interested in their work so that we can become bigger fans of them. So it was really an honor having you here today. Yeah, same. Right back at you. What Will I Do With My Love Today is out now. And my moment, 106 Women on Fighting for Themselves, is out in May. When we're back, Madonna Boot Camp. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Your favorite filmmaker, Madonna, is set to direct and co-write the biopic of her life. But who will play the Queen of Pop herself? They're looking at a pretty diverse pool of starlets, including an American blonde, an Australian blonde, and a British blonde. And they're apparently undergoing a grueling boot camp to seal the deal. Let me expand on this a bit. So Julia Garner, who we know from Ozark and her performance as Bjork in Inventing Anna. Um, <laughs> Florence Pugh, our queen. If you haven't seen Lady Macbeth yet, by the way, frighten yourself. Enjoy it. Uh, Odessa Young from Mothering Sunday. Emma Laird, uh, mayor of Kingstown. Uh, I, apparently Sky Ferreira's in the mix, you know. So lots of familiar candidates. I know uh, you didn't just leave out BB Rexa. Uh... Albania's own. I feel bad about it. Uh, you know what? I'm starting to think that you are not a bad bitch and a Rex R. Lewis. Do bad bitches <laughs> do bad bitches collaborate with Florida Georgia Line? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. 
But I am okay. So, according to this story, several things are going down here. There are eleven-hour dance sessions to make sure that the performer in question can do all of Madonna's moves or whatever. Couple questions. One, was it really eleven hours, or did Madonna show up eight hours late? That's my question. Because, <laughs> you know, Madonna's sitting there with her monocle from the Express Yourself video inspecting all of these girls up and down like the meanest <laughs> casting director of all time. Uh, uh, I'm imagining it's the cold-hearted snake music video. Oh, yeah, which is a reference to all that jazz. Uh, yeah. So we're wondering what's up with that. Uh, Madonna, I guess, confirmed that Florence Pugh is a top contender. She's definitely up there on the list. If she'll have me, Madonna told the Associated Press. Oh, we love humility from Madonna. (laughs) (laughs) What a shrinking violet she is. Yeah. Honestly, Florence would be the best choice for me. Florence Uh, Pugh is just sort of, she's just sort of it. And she managed to step into, um, Black Widow, um, and granted, Scarlett Johansson was sleepwalking through that film, but she was running circles around Rachel Weisz. Right. I mean, Rachel Weisz is somebody who has like a silver screen legendary intrigue and sex appeal. So that is right. very if shocking. You are, if you're running circles in a film, like Rachel Weisz is the gym teacher, okay? But, <laughs> <laughs> but Florence Pugh, like, outshone everybody in that film. She's just been, like, mesmerizing in every fucking thing that she's been in. Like, I, 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 actually, I actually, like, miss her on screen. I also think she has a critical sauciness that Madonna has, which I can't say about Julia Garner. I think Julia Garner seems like somebody, like, brilliant acting student, somebody who can take on a personality and like pull out quirks and come up with something interesting. But Florence to me has that resting X factor, like I dare you challenge me thing that Madonna has. I mean, you sort of have to have that if you decided the love of your life is Zach breath. Right. I, I get, Oh, and bad <laughs> and, taste and she in is men, very- bad taste <laughs> in men. <laughs> you came to the right biopic. And Whoop. she is, and she is very much, uh, that's my man. Right. And I'm a stick beside him. Actually, I think, I guess we like him, right? He's like perfectly fine. We like him. It's just, we like him. It's just sort of like, it seems very much like CBS sitcom casting. She yeah, is just sure. so young and vibrant and at the start of her career. And Zach Braff, um, you know, was on Scrubs. Uh, and, you know, Scrubs aired on Nick at Night TV Land in the 80s. <laughs> Head of the class, Scrubs. Yeah. <laughs> Room 222. I wonder if it's actually residually people still resenting the fact that they liked Garden State. Because mm. if you remember, that was like so many fucking people's favorite movie when we were growing up freshman and freshman in college everybody had that fucking soundtrack yeah and then as soon as we all graduated and like adulthood started um everyone acts as if like they hated that film right but it's a it's a perfectly engaging movie you know it's it's definitely of its time but i personally have never seen it interesting i'm surprised by that yeah we all have our blind spots. We can explore that one week. Um, I'm annoyed by the amount of takes on Twitter I'm seeing currently of people being like reading all the grueling things these girls have to do in this audition, being like, why does this person have to sing and dance better than Madonna? It's like, first of all, can you quit the fucking 1988 Jay Leno jokes about how much 
talent Madonna has. <laughs> Madonna is a legendary dancer. Please. The way she danced on screen, watch her fucking debut on American Bandstand. It is no joke. Everybody in that room is like clutching their face. They can't believe how hot and cool she is as she's just casually not choreographed dancing around a room. Actual dancing ability. Not, you know, I'll, I'll slam her again. Dua Lipa-ing across the floor and counting the steps as we <laughs> point and gyrate. Um... Uh, Secondly, we are never we are never gonna be guest hosts on at your service at this point, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> and secondly, guys, Madonna is a perfectly adequate vocalist. I've never listened to a Madonna song and being like, God, I really wish she sounded like fucking Celine Dion on Take a Bow. <laughs> yeah. Also, an emotive just... vocalist. I you really like like when you listen to Madonna on Crazy for You. That's a, a relatable person. No, I mean, I think, honestly, we're going to get to this in Why Keep It, uh, which is about um, people who discredit um, beloved pop stars um, and have, like, bad opinions about them. But no, I will always say that Madonna delivers on a track. Yeah. Right. She gets she gets you exactly what you fucking want, you know? Uh, you want a Madonna song, and she is crafted, like, say whether or not someone has the range, you know? You can also say, like, whether or not someone like has a lane and yeah. she carved her own fucking lane and it's gorgeous. Just like it's like Rihanna or something. Rihanna, not, you know, Maria Callas, but when that voice comes on, I'm zapped into her universe exactly. Again, something that I think nobody else could do that Madonna did early in her career. Think of the song Lucky Star. There's the chorus. And then think of the horny noises she makes. The, yeah. Like, that's so specific to her. The, like, in-your-face, basically bragging that I'm horny thing she can do on a track. Mm -hmm. You know, that was, that was, like, explicitly carnal in a way that pop stars never were before that. Also, the amount of pop stars who have fucking been inspired by her. I oh, mean, please. at this point, you know, like, just give it up. You right. know? So yeah, cut. Anyway, it's a lame lane of jokes. Y'all know I'm a stan. You know Ivers a stan. We've all clarified that. Anyway, um, I want to know who is running the boot camp though, because I know Madonna is not. Is no. Lorian Gibson up in there? I was wondering if it was maybe a Sonia Taya person. Maybe <laughs> who in the So You Think You Can Dance universe is doing it? And by the way, Mandy, Mandy Moore, uh, Mandy Moore parentheses choreographer, <laughs> Emmy winner, Mandy Moore. Yes. No shade to our friend Mandy Moore, who deserves an Emmy. Um, uh, uh, uh. And also, the screenwriting situation on this is, of course, very strange. Uh, as you know, our pal Diablo Cody. I wish Diablo was still up in there, but right. I'm actually glad that she's not because Diablo might be dead. Right. <laughs> I mean, so I was sort of on the inside track of that because Diablo's our pal. And at the time... I normally wouldn't spill anything about it, but Madonna then put it on Instagram. She would film them writing. And, you know, writing is a very, like, private process. So that was sort of strange to be witnessing her and uh, Diablo coming up with ideas on camera. But now she has exited, and the writer of Secretary, which is a kick-ass movie, is now the... Uh, Aaron Cressida Wilson, oh, yeah. uh, who now, yeah. we will forgive for writing The Girl on the Train. <laughs> Secretary is a, a movie that makes you forgive other movies. I totally agree. But uh, I'm really curious now 
what the arc of this movie is going to be. I There's a rumor in this article that it culminates with the Blonde Ambition tour. And that's about as far into it as I think it should go. Um, unless it's going to be a miniseries thereafter where we get into, you know, dating Tupac, et cetera. But if it were just 1983 to 1990, the Immaculate Collection era, that to me <laughs> seems comprehensible. Lewis, if you think I want to see a miniseries about Madonna <laughs> dating Tupac, get the fuck out of here. There should be we a series just about Black History Month, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you could do an entire show just about Madonna's quote-unquote friendships with black people she brags about having known. Have the Basquiat yes. day. Have the Actually, uh, Tupac day. Ev- every episode is from the perspective of the black person. Yes. And some, <laughs> somehow, <laughs> somehow um, Madonna pops up. Like Basquiat's just like at the studio painting and Madonna pops by and she's, he's like, what are you doing here? Yeah. We she's met like, once. oh, you know, I just thought I'd hang out. <laughs> Give me the Nicki Minaj episode where she's like, all right, I'll do a second track with you. All right, whatever. <laughs> Uh, do you think I could get on the blacklist if I wrote Madonna Basquiat? <laughs> it's like W-E. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I'm excited for the film. I want, I hope Florence Pugh gets it, but I also know that it is going to be a train wreck. I, You know I, how I know it's going to be a train wreck? If she couldn't even lure Jeremy O'Harris into writing this film with her, you know it's going to be a train wreck. Which... Jeremy O'Harris, maybe nobody has been more attracted to chaos in human history. So you're right. <laughs> that is a big question mark. If he had a that's so Raven flash to the future and was like, I'm good. <laughs> oh, I, I will share one story I remember about um, Diablo. When she initially accepted the offer to meet with Madonna, whoever was setting it up at the studio like briefed her on Madonna and and Brooke's like a kid of the eighties. So she knows all about Madonna intensely an intense fan of Madonna's the, the people talking to her go, Oh, you may not know this, but like uh, once upon a time, Madonna was like the biggest star in the world. She was actually married to Sean Penn and Brooke's joke or Diablo's joke to me was, excuse me. I flew the helicopter over that wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, honestly, you know what one thing I want to come out of this boot camp is mm. like like an old school VHS tape, like 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 Tybo, yeah. Billy Blanks, um, Darren's Dance Grooves, like release the Madonna boot camp choreography because that would be the hell of a workout. No kidding. Uh, also, by the way, some behind the scenes action too. I want to see Julia Garner crying as she attempts to vote. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, we're back. Keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's Keep It. Lewis, mm-hmm. what's going on? Um, unfortunately, it's not my favorite segment this week because I'm already so sick of this brouhaha. But man, keep it to whatever is going on at the Academy. And God knows all I care about is the Academy Awards. So for me to say this feels like I'm betraying my sister, you know, but not sister. I know. Can you believe I said that? I'm shocked. <laughs> Madonna, Tupac. And now you say a sister. Where's Aida? <laughs> you were getting out of pocket. <laughs> this is why she fled. Um, I leave L.A. for one week. Right. <laughs> 
so the Academy has famously announced they want to cut certain technical categories from the broadcast. Everybody is reacting poorly who is a fan of the Oscars. A couple of things are occurring. One, it just feels like this day of reckoning was going to come where either the network hosting the Oscars or the Oscars themselves basically realize they don't know why they're popular and start making new rules to ensure that to, to bring in people who don't care about the Oscars. And that's never going to work. I don't I, I don't think there's such a thing as bringing in people whose primary association with cinema is only superhero movies. I just don't think it's going to happen. Th- they just have nothing in common. The worlds of like superhero blockbusters and the Oscars. Now, once upon a time, you got a lot more mainstream movies that bridged prestige and audience appeal. I'm not saying those don't exist anymore, but movies like Titanic used to be like more more regularly occurring. And now, now you know, I feel like largely the problem with the Oscars and luring in like new audience members is the fact that one, the Oscars has always been for people who you know, like aspire to be a part of the cinema. Yeah. Um, you know, like people growing up um, in, you know, like smaller towns in America who are like, hey, I want to be in the movie someday. And they watch the Oscars every year or two um, people who just sort of like love like movie making and they love like cinema, et cetera. Like they don't necessarily need to be a part of it, but they like they love like watching the Oscars and shit like that and award shows. Three people who love stars and celebrities and Mm -hmm. i think that the problem is with hollywood because their hollywood isn't making films like that anymore no like like a like a titanic would not be fucking made right now and movies that sort of have that um big appeal with like a star or something like are just going to be like thrown on netflix now you know they're not going to feel like it's like a major event this Oscars is interesting because, you know, you have Will Smith as like a front runner, you know, yeah. but it's like there should be movies with like Will Smith, Reese Witherspoon, you know, like um, even like Robert Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz being in the Batman um, is like a big deal now, but it's being released like so early on that it's not going to be like an Oscar contender or something, you know? But like, there aren't movies like an Aaron Brockovich or... Yeah, Aaron Brockovich is sort of what we're talking about here. We're like, the star leads it, they get to do something extraordinary for their brand, and also the movie is good, and so it winds up getting Oscars. This whole thing to me feels like if the people running Jeopardy said, well, you know what would make more people watch the show is if we had only multiple choice questions. Like it's like no 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 no. It's it's good because it's hard. It's good because people are excluded. It's good because certain people don't get it and certain people really get it. You know that's why there's a fervor over it. You know there's a there's a level of taste involved and a level of a- achievement that you know really entices a certain kind of viewership and leaves out other people. But leaving out other people makes it good. Um, so. Yeah, I'm just worried. I was happy Steven Spielberg spoke out because, well, now they're going to fucking pay attention, you know, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's this problem with not wanting to make films that have a star leading them anymore. If you're busy making a film that's going to, like, work for an algorithm. Right. You're, no. you're not going to have that anymore. Which, by the way, makes me think about how rare someone like Leonardo DiCaprio is now. Because people, I think, still are obsessed specifically with him and seeing a movie because he is in it. And we, everybody else is sort of dwindling away. Like, uh, Sandra Bullock has a movie coming out with Channing Tatum. And I'm like, will this play? It doesn't seem like an obvious hit to me. 
Right. And I feel like the biggest people who are sort of like that right now are Tom Holland and Zendaya. Right. And Zendaya. Tom Holland, very, that's true. And, and Zendaya, most people tune in to see her either like in a supporting role in the Spider-Man movies or Euphoria. You right. know, like where is her big blockbuster film? You know, like Malcolm and Marie was cute. It was COVID. But I'm like, Zendaya should be fucking leading films. Like they should be making her the next Julia Sandra, Hallie, you know, like go with some fucking star power. And Tom Holland, I don't know, just probably just needs a new agent because every film that he does tries to replicate, I feel like, the Spider-Man thing, like Uncharted. Mm-hmm, Who's going to see right. that? No, 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 no. We have to have a full powwow here about bringing star power back just to life. I don't. I, I think we can solve it on this podcast, but it's going to require an entire episode. So anyway, Ira, what is your keep it this week? So my keep it this week involves the fact that um, recently, like clips from the 2009 classic Obsessed oh, sure. have been circulating on so- social media. The Ali Larderverse, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, specifically, I think it was Rose Dambu like uh, tweeted out a clip from Obsessed where it was like, this is the greatest line reading in movie history. It's when Beyonce thinks that Idris is having an affair with Ali Larder. Um, and she tells him to get out of the house and he's like, well, where do you want me to go? And she says, to hell. But first, I would suggest the four seasons. <laughs> <laughs> and it started making me think about that movie and how people in general say that Beyonce is a bad actress. And my keep it is the people who think Beyonce can't act. Because well, watching that film, she's fucking phenomenal in it. And I would say that she honestly makes me feel every emotion that that character is supposed to be feeling. And I would argue that because she does so many music videos, I would largely think that Beyonce is really good at carrying an emotion and making you feel the emotion that she's feeling, and you can see it on her face. And I kept thinking about um, one of my favorite critics, like Angelica Jade Bastian, uh, who always reminds us that film is not about driving plot forward. Film is a visual fucking medium that's why we love movies you know tv is more about plot and dialogue film is a visual medium and who better than to be on our screens than beyonce with her very emotive face driving a movie forward very good um i will say about that movie be when you watch it from the beginning from what i remember it's been a a few years since i've seen it you almost wonder why beyonce took the role because she's sort of not in it or not doing much and then as the movie intensifies, suddenly Beyonce starts getting amazing dialogue. Like it tur- it's almost <laughs> like a-, a whole new character emerges basically, or maybe even like they reshot stuff months later to make sure she got some one-liners in. I'm not sure. But in those moments, you're gripping the desk and really in love with her. If you're talking about star power, that is a film that get that lets Idris do his thing in the beginning of the movie. And then yes, becomes like a fucking vehicle for Beyonce through like the la- the last two-thirds of the film right well i mean it's also you know the closest thing we have to a precursor to lemonade right you know that kind of range so um (laughs) wow has that argument been made i'm happy to make it (laughs) i mean she is headbutting ali larder when she is answering the phone derek i'm gonna have to call you back i just think that beyonce is underrated as an actress here i said it well and i think also maybe underrated funny you know, like, for instance, like on uh, the Savage remix, there are a couple of lines in there where 
I presume she wrote them because the delivery is giving me LOL. She was always fucking funny in interviews before celebrity became too much. And she was like, I would actually rather not um, see any of you anymore. Right. No, <laughs> this is this is the Janet Jackson way out. Yes. Yeah. Uh, she did it. Rihanna did it. Uh, the only reason Rihanna can't hide now is because she's pregnant. Right. Rihanna really should do more interviews, though. Come on. That's a funny person. It annoys me. You know, what my favorite thing about Rihanna is how she has rehabilitated her image so much. True. Because if you remember the fact that this bitch used to bully everybody on the internet, <laughs> she would be in the comments calling fans trash. She would be arguing with other celebrities, like truly like mocking celebrities for no reason too, just because she was bored. Right. Like she was a mean girl. I will say on, on that note, I have never liked the comment to Sierra. It's too fucking mean. It's like, also, it's like, you oh. have to, ex it's like, the joke is what, uh, Sierra's not that popular or whatever. It's like, honestly, is that Sierra's fault? She, Sierra's fucking amazing. So it just yeah. felt extremely low. I'm trying to think of other Beyonce performances that are worth shouting out. I wonder if that Austin Powers performance holds up. She's got to be funny in that, right? Foxy Cleopatra? She's hilarious as Foxy Cleopatra. And you know what? Um, I, I, I will cautiously say Pink Panther. Um, mm. But, you know, I should revisit that. I should revisit it anyway because um, Kristen Chenoweth's in it. Oh, yes. And if you weren't dazzled by our interview with her, we have nothing in common. <laughs> uh, and I think she was good in Dreamgirls. Honestly. She was good. I, I think the problem with that movie at the time was it was really hyped up to be the musical experience of a lifetime. And obviously mm -hmm. Jennifer Hudson gave the great musical performance she did and, and good acting. But the movie to me felt limp overall. Like, well, Dina's really not a part of Dream Girls. I mean, she's yeah. sort of, she's sort of like the quote unquote villain. Um, but I think that she's defanged a bit in the film, in the stage version. Um, Listen is sort of like an amalgamation of like a song that's in the stage version, where it's sort of like Dina and. Um, Effie going back and forth with each other and I think that the movie really sort of misses a chance where like Beyonce and J-Hud like go head to head right 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 and but that would of course require some potential <gasps> unlikability on Beyonce's part and I think that's where they <laughs> held back uh probably so but um yeah I don't know I, I, I support my girl I of course have never seen Cadillac Records so if anybody wants to tell me how that was um, she's good in Cadillac Records, and she's also good in um the Fighting Temptations. Mm, right. We, we don't even have to bring up Carmen a hip hopper. That that's a legacy that speaks for itself. You know what? I'm gonna let Carmen a hip hopper go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we all did. We had to. So. Uh, all right. Um, that's our show this week. Thank you again to. Kristen Chenoweth for joining us and we will see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Caroline Rustin and our associate producer is Brian Semmel. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III but I, Louis Fertel, do a good job too. Our audio engineers are Charlotte Landis and Kyle Seglin, and the show is mixed and edited by Charlotte Landis. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot, Nar Malconian, and Milo Kim for production support every week.
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.